we're going to go ahead and get started with our scripture reading for today. We're going to be in Luke 2, verse 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to the whole empire that everyone should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to, the, to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room for, available for them. In the same re region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior is born to you, who is Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts and the angels praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace to whom the people he favors. All right, so we're going to be in Luke 2, as you saw. If you need a Bible, there's one uh, at the welcome table. Uh, you can have it if you want it. Um, all right, so I'm going to need you all to pray for me today. I'm not feeling well, but not in the COVID sense, okay? I'm just getting old and achy. Um, but let's get into the text. You know, usually rewards and blessings come to those that are accomplished, to those who stand out. You know, usually they have, have done something uh, that, was, that was monumental, and then people recognize that. But it's interesting is that God does something a little different. He doesn't look for the reward, the, the, those who are accomplished. He doesn't look for those who are mighty in the eyes of the world. In fact, the scriptures teach us that God searches for the humble to bless them. That God plans to show grace and mercy, not to the people whom the world thinks that is obvious to show that to, but to those who might be overlooked. And we're going to see that in this text today. That when Christ came, he didn't come to the, the top dogs. He didn't come to the most famous people. He came to the lowly. And that's the shape of his gospel, that he comes to redeem those who are lowly and humble. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us through your scripture. Lord, I know that whoever is here is here because you want them to be here. And that you have a word from your scriptures to them. And so, Lord, would you open up all of our hearts so that we could receive what you have for us today? Would your words sink deep down into our hearts that we would understand and not only understand, but seek to obey what you have spoken? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so you look at verse 1. We got, uh, this is the first point. God uses 
those who know and those who don't know to accomplish his plans. In other words, we think that God uses those who are like really trying to seek him, but every now and then he'll use people unbeknownst to them. In verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his town. Now, a little bit of background. The Old Testament prophet Micah prophesied that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. Now, if you look at the story, Joseph and Mary were in this place called Nazareth. So Micah 5, 8 says, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be a ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. So the prophets are saying there's going to be the Savior, this one sent from God, who's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, if you've been following the story, that seems problematic because Joseph and Mary are in Nazareth. But nevertheless, God used the unknowing rulers to fulfill this prophecy. It says that Caesar Augustus, the emperor, ruled that a census should happen, which made Joseph have to go to his hometown. Now, what's interesting is that Caesar Augustus was not like a man who followed the God of heaven and earth. As a matter of fact, if you were a Roman citizen, you were expected to worship Caesar. So it's not like he was like, God, I want to be used by you. But nevertheless, God used this man to, to orchestrate the fulfillment of his prophecy. The other thing is sometimes I wonder why they give the details in the scriptures. Like, why do we need to know who Quirinius was? You ever heard of that guy? He's not a super famous guy in history. Why do we need to know that? Who was Quirinius? Well, it's to show this, that this story is not a myth that the story is historical, that, that they, it happened in a real time and place with real people. It's not once upon a time this happened. The gospel is rooted in history. And what's interesting is the thing that we recite every week, this Apostles' Creed, we are reciting historical facts. The fact that Christ came, that he suffered and died, and that he rose. And what we learn in this time is that God's sovereignty is a great comfort in hard times. Now listen, if you are married, or anybody, any of these women, women who have had babies, I don't know if you want to be traveling at full term, right? That wouldn't be awesome for you. Even if you had to go on an airplane, you'd be like, I still, the doctor would be like, you, you shouldn't do that. Now imagine if you had to travel at full term on a, on a donkey or a horse. That does not sound enjoyable, right? But nevertheless, nevertheless, we can see God at work during this time. God moves the powerful to accomplish his plan. And God used this to confirm his promises and eventually affirm their faith. This tells us that we don't have to fear in uncertain times because God orchestrates all things for our ultimate good and encouragement. Do you believe that? In verse 4, we see that God brought Joseph and pregnant Mary to fulfill prophecy. Verse 4, Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth and Galilee to, to, J, to uh, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Again, we see these details in the text. The, te the details of the text show how God is fulfilling his promise. See, he says Mary is, if you've been paying attention to the story, Mary is 
pregnant, but it's not Joseph's baby, right? Mary is pregnant with the one whose origin is from ancient times. Remember that prophecy and Micah, the one who was born is from long ago. And the question is, how can a baby be from long ago? She was pregnant, but not in the usual way that the, the Scripture says the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and that she uh, was conceived by that Spirit with the Son of God. She carried the Ancient One. So even though Jesus was born in real time, in real space, He was eternal. In fact, that's one of the, his claims of that is one of the reasons why He died. One time he's talking uh, with, with the Jews who are kind of like, yeah, I don't know if you are who you say you are. And they're, they're like, are you like Abraham? Abraham lived thousands of years before, before Jesus. And Jesus said, look, man, let me tell you how much I know Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. Claiming that he pre-existed Abraham, that he is the only son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. And ancient creed says that he's God from God, light from light, true God from true God, but God not made of the same essence of the Father. That is who was born this day. And Mary is pregnant with a descendant of David. And the question is, why is that important? There is this prophecy in 1 Chronicles 17. Oh, babies cry, y'all. It's all good. Babies cry. It happens. Listen to this prophecy in 1 Chronicles 17. It says, when the time comes, he's speaking to David, when the time comes to be with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant, who was one of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love for him as I have removed it from the one who is before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. This was something that was spoken to King David a thousand years before the events in Luke chapter 2. And he says something interesting, I'm going to give you a son that has an eternal kingdom. Now, what, what kind of human do you know has an eternal kingdom? This implies an eternal son. It implies an omnipotent son, one who, whose kingdom will never be defeated. How can this eternal, omnipotent son come from a human family line? Hence, we have this virgin birth. That a virgin birth that came from Mary but was from the family line of Joseph because of engagement. In these times, engagement meant a little bit more than it means now. It was more binding than a modern engagement. This is virtually a form of marriage. The couple do not live together or consummate their union, but a divorce is needed to break this relationship. So God in these, in the details, is orchestrating these fulfillment of prophecy. I remember one time when I, you know, I was a, a missionary in Asia, and we were talking to uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the guys there, and we were uh, th- talking about the book of Isaiah. And we're reading particularly in Isaiah 53, there's this prophecy about Jesus. Like he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, this, this, this one right there. We were reading it to him, and we, we asked him, he said, hey, do you think this is from the Old or the New Testament? And he's like, obviously, this is from the New Testament. This is clearly talking about Jesus. Obviously. He's like, you think I'm stupid or something? And then we told him, actually, this was written hundreds of years before the events in the gospel. 
And I, I've never had somebody jack a Bible out of my hand so quick. And he said, let me see that. And he was looking in the book like, and he marveled at the fact that God would fulfill prophecy. This is what we see in the scriptures, that our God governs the details. So even though Mary in a very well way, is suffering. She's having to travel. She's due, and we're going to find out she doesn't have a place to stay, that, that God is governing the details even when we are suffering. It means that we suffer, but our suffering has purpose. We see this testimony in the Scripture that God is orchestrating all things for His glory and our good. We see in verse 6 that God chose to come to the earth in humble conditions. Look at verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them. Now, we already know that God can orchestrate the details, right? The passage is demonstrating that God can do exactly what he wants to do. Yet the God who controls the hearts of kings was born in a manger. Would you think that the eternal royal son, would he not come with fanfare? Would he not come in a palace? Yet the scriptures say that he came in an animal feeding trough. The God created time and space did not have a guest room available to him. See, this foreshadows the message and ministry of Christ, that he would walk the path of humility, that he would represent that, 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 the, the God who created all things, yet the world would not receive him. Nevertheless, he came. The events of his birth foreshadow the events of his ministry, that he would walk with the humble and the lowly. The scripture says that, there, that he didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't have a place to sleep. But nevertheless, he came. And we can see the humility of Christ. Now remember, who, who is this Christ? Who is, this is God of God. This is true God of true God. This one would come and dwell in, uh, with us in humility. He would seek us out because we are lost. And God chose to reveal his plans to humble shepherds. Look, verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for, him, for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, what we need to understand about shepherds at that time is shepherds were not honored, okay? Now, the great theologian who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, that's a children's Bible, is a good Bible, y'all. This is what it says about shepherds. In those days, remember, people used to laugh at shepherds and say they were smelly, and all the, I'll call them rude names. You see, people thought shepherds were nobodies, just scruffy riffraff. Jesus told the Bible. The reality is that the God who created all things, who lives in majesty in heaven, chose to reveal himself to, to those who were not honored. 
Listen, what's interesting, what I love about the shepherds is I don't know what kind of self-esteem one has as a shepherd when people think you're scruffy riffraff. It's probably not awesome, you know what I'm saying? But nonetheless, they're, they're doing their job at night. Even though their job was not honored, they still did it. God sees and God honors even if the world does not. And God chose to reveal his plan, not to the elite, but to the humble. See, God, God sent an angel to reveal the good news to them, this heavenly messenger. Now listen, why wouldn't he just send it to the emperor or the governor? Why would he send it to these lowly shepherds? Because God honors the lowly. What I love about this is that if, if you read the, the, the text, remember God's showing up to these shepherds, these, these quote-unquote nobodies in that society, and he says, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, for you. He picks these nobodies and he says, listen, I want you to understand, this is a gospel that is for you. This is good news for you. He revealed his personal love to these lowly shepherds. As I thought about the words for you, I, I thought about, man, we, we have to, to hear those words to us. The, the gospel is not just for y'all, it's for you. It's, it's for, for, for those who, who have messed up, for those whom the society looks down on, for those who understand their sin, it is for you. You know, every week when, when we take communion, and there's these things called the words of institution, that's really fancy language for the stuff I say every week, right? When, it's, it's, it's when Christ says, this is the blood of the new covenant that was shed for what? For you. For you. Beloved, when, when you hear that this morning, I want you to think about that, that Christ shed his blood for you. You might not stand out in the crowd. You, you, you might not have a lot of qualities that would be desirable, or maybe you're awesome. Either way, Christ died for you. And not only did he send a messenger, but God chose to reveal his glory to these humble shepherds. Look at verse 13. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with an angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. You know, what's, what's interesting is, is many people in the scriptures wanted to see this heavenly or joyous vision. What's interesting about humanity is that we all are longing to see something great. Why do people go on vacations, right? Let's go see the Grand Canyon. Let's go see this, that, and another. We all are desiring to see something that would bring us joy. Matter of fact, the, the reason that you do whatever it is this, that you do is because you think it'll make you happy. You're longing to see some joyous and good vision. And we have this urge to try new things, see new things, enjoy new things. This points to the fact that we are looking for something that the world cannot satisfy. Nobody travels to all the places they want to travel. We're looking for something. And, and the Scripture says that what we're actually looking for is this heavenly vision of God. Now, here's the interesting thing about, about God. He, he has uh, no end. You, you, don't, you, don't, like, you can probably, if you spend a lot of time, you could probably see all the Grand Canyon. If, if you spend a lot of time, you can research something to, to its depths, but not God. And not only that, the Scripture says that, that our God, when we think about God, we think of someone who's stoic. But heaven is not stoic, y'all. 
They are enjoying the creator and source of all good. And what's interesting is that the shepherds, these lowly shepherds, got a glimpse of that. And he did not reveal his glory to the religious leaders of the day, but he chose the lowly shepherds. And this glorious army of heaven sings of God's favor to people. See, this flips, it, uh, this flips our expectations upside down. When we think about who would God choose to reveal himself, we're like, well, probably somebody really, really holy. Somebody who climbed up the mountain, who climbed the ladder to heaven, someone who exerted so much effort. But God's glory is not something that we climb up to, but rather something that came down to us. This is the glory that we get to see, not because we have earned anything, but just because, as the angel says, that he favors us, because he loves us. That is the source of this glory, the source of this vision of who Christ is. And we see in the Scriptures that God chooses to reveal his salvation in Christ to us humble sinners. You know, we live in a culture that, that says everybody is unique. And I'm not trying to poo-poo on that, but y'all, we regular. Most of us are regular. Maybe one of y'all is unique, but most of us is regular, okay? <laughs> look, all right, look, look. A hundred years from now, they probably ain't going to know nobody name in here. All right, listen, let's just be real about it. Unless you do something real bad or real good, whatever. Most of us are prone to mistakes, yeah? Most of us are in need of forgiveness, we don't, we're not at the, the top echelon, but listen, listen. Christ reveals his glory and salvation to us who are humble, who, who make mistakes, who are in need of forgiveness, those whom the world might not even see. That is who Christ reveals his salvation to. And God the Father chose to send his beloved son to save you. The son of God did not think it below him to live among the lowly for you. And get this, if you confess Christ, the spirit of the living God reveals himself to you. The reality is we're not better than the shepherds, but that doesn't matter because we have a God who sees us. If you, if you confess Christ, I want you to understand, the God who created all things opened the door of your heart and entered in. And he says, I choose you. I'm coming to you. I love you. Beloved, this, this message that is for all people is at the same time uniquely individual. That Christ comes to us and says, I love you. Even with all of your mistakes, I love you. And so what I, what I love about this text is I think it actually encourages us to cultivate humility. Yeah? I, listen, it's a, it says, it's, it says that the Scripture says that Christ comes to the humble. I want Christ to come to me. <laughs> yeah? So I, I want to be humble. We have to cultivate this humility over and over again. It makes no sense that this message of good news to the humble would produce prideful people. Yeah, if, if, if we are in need, we can't, and then we didn't do anything to get the thing that we needed. We can't be like, look what we got. No, 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 no. We have, it means that we need to remember our true state. 
that without Christ, we are from the dust, and to the dust we will return. Without Christ, we are weak. Without Christ, we are needy. Nonetheless, He comes to us. To cultivate humility, we, we need to remember the, 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 the condescending Son of God. This is what Philippians 2.5 says. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Our Lord Jesus, the most exalted one, humbled himself. And so one of the ways that we cultivate humility and gratitude about this gospel is that we treasure these truths in our heart. A little further down, when after uh, the shepherds go and tell Mary what happened and she's marveling at these things, Luke 2.19 says, Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Beloved, we have to treasure the truths in the go- of the gospel in our heart. Treasure the truths of our humble state. And that does not produce self-loathing. It produces a heart that glorifies God. And so this day we remember that our great, exalted, loving God humbled himself for you, for you. So glory to the sovereign Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your your word and how you teach us of your love for us. Lord, would we treasure that? Will we not forget it? And Lord, because we have not earned this gospel, help us to cultivate hearts of gratitude and humility. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.